137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. This be episode 289. I, of course, am Sean. I got a tummy full of grilled cheese and tomato soup. And with me, as always, is my best pal, Preston. Presto, buddy, how are you, sir? What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos, you skeletors and skelettes, witchers and witchers, and whatever the fuck else you want to be? Doing good. I just realized that uh, OBS fucked up and... Uh, doesn't have our intro music uh, loaded in, so it was like, I don't know, no no fancy intro music like every other show, but fuck it. Well, you know? <laughs> well damn, dude. <laughs> well, brace yourselves, guys, for maybe one of the longest episodes we've had in a very long time. This document is maybe the longest we've done for a single episode in a very long time, yeah. and uh, this is going to be part one of a two-parter. But before we get started, Preston, anything new or exciting with you, man? Man, I've been drywalling. We got my son's room almost done. I hate drywalling. Mm-hmm. I'm not Bob the Builder, too. but I but I do it because I love my son. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Now he can listen as you record uh, from next yeah. door. <laughs> oh, and Shit. next week is the wife's birthday, so happy birthday, honey. I love you. Taking you out of town nice. to North Carolina. We're going to rock and roll, so no show next week. Unless Sean oh, damn. Wants to fly okay, well. Unless Sean wants to fly <laughs> Han Solo. When do you guys leave? Monday night. Monday night. Or Monday morning, sorry. Monday, Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know, you want to do like a Sunday night recording? I could record anytime Sunday if you want, buddy. I'm good all day. You want to knock something out early on? Fuck it. Let's do a Sunday then. Yeah, man. Cool. All right, folks. You heard it here first. Next Sunday, uh, we will post the time later, and I'll shoot a couple of you guys some some PMs and DMs. That way everybody knows. But yeah, let's do that, man. I know we, uh, we've had a couple of weeks we haven't got to record, so if we can do something for, you know, the folks, I'd like to do that. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, you're leaving town. I just got back in town. Um... Steven, myself, Brady, and our buddy Chad all went to this phenomenal horror convention last weekend. It's the OKC Horror Con. We had just a rip-roaring fantastic time, dude. Um, Of course, I'm a huge horror nut, and we were incredibly lucky to get a chance to meet Linnea Quigley, Miguel Nunez Jr., and Tom Matthews, all three who played in Return of the Living Dead. That's, of course, Trash, Spider, and Freddy. Um, phenomenal people. We had a great time, got some autographs, got to hang out and talk for a while. We met Felissa Rose, of course, the infamous Angela from Sleepaway Camp, uh, CJ Graham, who was Jason Part 6, and just a ton of other fucking awesome people. I got to meet Clint Howard. Of course, if you never knew who Clint Howard was, Google him real quick and you'll realize he's been in so many uh, really awesome TV shows and movies. He played the real creepy little baby in the original Star Trek TV series. It was like telekinetic. And, of course, he's oh, played other people yeah. in Star Trek as well. But, uh, yeah, man, we had a phenomenal time. We got to go down there and just rub elbows and hang out with some pretty cool people. And uh, I'm still kind of just buzzing off of that. But Don't forget, uh, Steven, this motherfucker brought home two coffins. Yes, 
Steve just acquired two legitimate coffins. Yeah. Um, I can't really say what they were used for or if they were used, because I'm not sure what's legally uh, okay to talk about. But we're just going to say Stephen acquired two coffins. Uh, legitimately, these are legitimately acquired yeah. coffins. I mean that. But, yeah, the dude's got two fucking coffins. They're awesome. It's crazy. Steve, if you're listening, I need you to acquire me some headstones for the back garden. Uh <laughs> Uh, around the bat house, I'd like to put up some tombstones, uh, real ones if possible. So if you got the connections and the hookups for, uh, I think that's grave robbing. These were just, I think, uh, no, you no, could no, say... I'm not, I'm not saying like you know how sometimes <laughs> like the, the the monument shops, like they put like the display monuments headstones out on the window, okay. so you can you can see like I don't know, maybe they have like an old one that they can't get anymore, and so they're like, what do we do with mm. it? Hook your boy up okay. if you're listening. I'll put it in the yard. <laughs> We'll see what we can do. I'm not saying go to a cemetery <laughs> and start loading the back of the pickup truck. That's fucking bad juju right there. Like, okay, I was going to say, you're talking yeah. about vandalism. Um, that's how shit gets haunted. Yeah, that's, that's how right. shit gets you haunted. You want ghosts? That's how you get yeah. ghosts. Um, yeah, I'm talking about these coffins. Pissed off ghosts. Yeah. These coffins were acquired because they were just extra, so to speak. They were unused uh, coffins. But uh, I just want some extra heads- headstones. Maybe they fucked one up. Like, they were trying to spell Timothy, and they were like, T-T-T-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-Mo-M
along the clifftop path of the North Downs Way between Dover and Folkestone, and it looks to have been carved from one single tree trunk measuring around eight feet tall, and it features the inscription of the name Percaunus. I'm sorry, Percaunus. Percaunus is the god of lightning, thunder, and storms associated with Baltic mythology, primarily around the area of present-day Lithuania and Latvia. As one of the most powerful deities in the Baltic pantheon of gods, Perkunas is often equated with the ancient Greek god of Zeus and the Norse god Thor and the Roman god Jupiter. But here's what's weird. Nobody knows how the totem ended up there, and it's anybody's guess at the moment as to who built it, carved it, and then stuck it in the ground with such skill. They said the artist behind this would have had to spend hours painstakingly carving out the details, and we were keen to keep it in our reserve. The artwork seems to be a hit with the walkers who have taken selfies and congratulated on us, congratulated us on such an installation, but we have no idea how it got there or who did it. It's just a mystery. Locals appear to have taken kindly to the pole, but its future is not yet secured. See, what they're trying to do is figure out who made the art and secure actual permissions to keep it there. If they can figure out who it was, it's no longer an act of vandalism because they can file the right paperwork and make this thing like a boom state monument, so to speak. The local council has given them eight weeks to submit planning permissions and track down the person behind the totem pole. If they can figure it out, they can set up a trust and then have it gratefully admitted into the country's monuments. Fans of unexpected polls, of course, uh, remember back in 2020, as the weeks went on, we started noticing tons of weird uh, monoliths showing up, including that one in Utah. Of course, it turned out the Utah monolith was placed on public land without any permission back in 2015 or 16 and stood unnoticed for four years. However, the full story hasn't quite been released yet, but I'm all about it, dude. If there's one thing we love, it's mummies, and if it's another, it's weird art installations being thrown up along countrysides. So I'm all about it, dude. I'm, f I'm all for it. I like it. Oh, man, there, I came across this uh, video on TikTok, and this, this artist, I don't remember her name, but she basically... She made like Gak, but it, it looked like <laughs> Nickelodeon like Gak. Yeah, but it was like rotted flesh. And then she made like flesh donuts and like other things. And like people were always like freaking the fuck out. And they're like, oh my God, your stuff is so gross. So she put together a video What's the grossest thing I have on my wall? And uh, she took uh, used maxi pads and like basically each one is kind of like diluted. So you kind of have a cr like a red chrome scale of like dark red, medium red, and uh, <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's that's fucking cheeky. That's actually pretty. That's pretty good. Thanks. Yeah. Um, that. I wish we. I knew we were going to talk about minstrel art because there's also that really badass uh, installation piece where the artist stood there and she had a bunch of yarn, you know, just uh, shoved up inside of her hoo-ha, for lack of better words. And she spent the better part of this exhibit just slowly crocheting from the yarn that came out of her vagina. So, yeah. man, we could do a whole episode about um, And then there was that well. there was that one, uh, was it the Korean or Japanese woman that uh, 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 made, like, um, 
like plugins for like phones and stuff, and it uh, worked off uh, body chemistry. So she's a oh actual, yeah, yeah yeah inserted in her hooch and like charge a phone <laughs> and LED strips at the same time, all with the power of her vagina. I mean, I've seen monks, you know, power light bulbs with their mouths. So why not charge your cell phone from your vagina? You know, yeah, it's the new it's the new Uncle Fester. It's Aunt Fester now. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's just get on into the good stuff, shall we, folks? We're finally getting around to looking into rock and roll and the occult. Because it kind of goes without saying here that rock and roll is supposed to be the devil's music. But the question is, was it the devil himself that inspired some of rock and roll's greatest artists? Or was it something else? You know, hey, hold on, hold on. I'm going to... I'm going to interject real quick. I was watching a video the other day. We we talked about, on our last episode where we talked about uh, rock and roll and the occult, we brought up Robert mm-hmm. Johnson. Or, you know, he made the deal with the, the, the devil. Oh, yeah, the devil in the crossroads. There, This is a very interesting 30-minute video that I spent, you know, um, my life on that talks about how it wasn't the devil, but it was Papa Legba that he because oh, Robert, nice. Robert J- Johnson at that time in history he would have been uh, practicing hoodoo and voodoo and it was Papa Legba that he met at the crossroads that taught him how to play the guitar and not the devil therefore Robert Johnson did not sell his soul but uh, Papa Legba came to collect his debt and that's how he died with rat poisoning so well, I mean, I'm not saying Papa Legba was the same as a devil, but a devil of a sorts, any hoozle. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It wasn't good old. Um, oh fuck, why can't I ever think of his name? It starts with an L. Not Luther, but uh, the fuck's a devil's name? I can never think about the devil. Lucifer. Name. What the fuck is it? Thank Satan? you. Yeah, I'm gonna Lucifer? call him Luther from now on. But uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, good why old not? Satan. <laughs> good old Satan. Well, on the first of two episodes, we're going to jump into the legendary Jimmy Page and his possible demonic inspiration for Led Zeppelin's fourth album. But before we jump into old Jimmy Page and the occult, let's have a quick prologue about a place that may sound a little familiar. That's going to be the old Bolskine House, a.k.a. Aleister Crowley's old stomping grounds. You guys remember the one on the southeast side of Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands, the place where Crowley supposedly summoned the Loch Ness Monster? Well, even though we're mostly finished up with Aleister Crowley for now, at least, it seems as though even after his death, the mark he left on the world continues to be felt for decades after his passing. And for whatever he summoned and left behind the Bolskine house, or possibly whatever was lurking there before Crowley's arrival... It continues to affect people for years and years after Crowley's absence. I think uh, Lazarus uh, has uh, put the pronunciation down in the chat. Bull Eskin. Bull Eskin House. Yeah, there you go. You know, potato, tomato. That's what I say. How about we just call it, you know, Tasha's Love Palace. Yeah, we're going to fuck it up anyway. So, yeah, it doesn't really matter if you put the correct pronunciation in the chat because Sean and I don't pay attention to anything anyways. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't try to pronounce stuff right now, Lazarus, because it's not going to do us any good. Boleskine yeah. Boleskin. Okay, yeah, Boleskin House. We're going to do it. Do it. <laughs> oh, is it my turn? That's you. Is You're the me? orange. Right. I'm the orange. <laughs> Although most much of the house's reputation is attributed to Aleister Crowley, 
Its notoriety predates the Thelemite leader's ownership. A parish was established in the 13th century, complete with a kirk. For all you non-Irish and Scottish people, that's a church and a graveyard. And legend has it that the location actually played as the location for a bizarre ritual later in the 17th century where an evil wizard raised the dead <laughs> from their graves uh, in the Bolskine graveyard and allowed the Boleskin. them to, <laughs> Boleskin graveyard and allowed them to roam the nearby lands. But that was before a minister named Thomas Hewson was tasked with returning the animated bodies to their graves. I like to imagine that he was like, really, Jerry? Skeletons? This one doesn't even have a full jaw, amateur. Hmm? Let me show you how it's done. The power of Christ compels you. Hmm? I just picture him as Filch from uh, Harry Potter just walking around calling this guy a bastard and a cocksucker for, you know, reanimating skeletons. God Another damn fucking it. skeleton. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, Jerry. You God, this one's just a fucking hand, you... S- Goddamn, Jerry, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Just scuttling across. Yeah. <laughs> scuttling across while Steven's stealing coffins. Yeah. Legend has it that, uh, what do we say, Boleskine House was later built on the same exact site where the Kirk had previously stood, which, according to local lore, oops, had caught fire during a congregation and uh, basically killed everybody inside. So we got a lot of bad, yeah, we got a lot of bad shit going on. The Boleskine House itself was built in uh, 1760 by Colonel Archibald Fraser, and over the following decades into the 1830s, his family expanded the property and built onto the house so it could be used as a hunting lodge, which stands as the house we know today. And as mentioned previously, in 1899, Crowley purchased the property from the Frasers, ushering in the darkest, most arcane chapter in Boleskine's history— the occultists believed it to be an ideal place for isolation and the performance of a mysterious ritual from the sacred magic of Armbelin the Mage, derived from the revered Book of Armbelin, which we covered. That's how, you know, the Messinesi came into existence. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, was the, uh, that was the spell that was supposed to take six months, and then he got, uh, you know, you're supposed to abstain from alcohol and he was trying to summon the 12 kings and the dukes of hell, and then somebody called him off, and he's like, fuck it. I ain't going to complete it, and uh, bad shit happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it do. is said, yeah, it was said that uh, his lazy ass never got around to banishing all of those demons that he has summoned, so he just kind of, fuck it, and just let him linger around the property. Well, what's the worst that could happen? Well, yeah. Crowley's housekeeper, Hugh Giles, who experienced immense tragedies, including the death of two children, would tell you something different. These events led Crowley to admit that his black magic experiments had spiraled out of control, and eventually, in 1913, the occultists got the fuck out of Dodge. After the devastating First World War, the renowned Hollywood actor George Raff became associated with the house, he became embroiled with scandals related to fraudulent schemes involving the sale of shares for a non-existent pig farm, supposedly located on the Boleskine grounds. And then following the Second World War, Major Edward Grant became the owner of the Boleskine house. And in 1965, he tragically took his own life with a shotgun in what was once Crowley's bedroom. And subsequently after that, a newly married couple moved into the house only to be plagued by unsettling occurrences 
The wife who was blind was abandoned by her husband. Fuck, dude. That's rough. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude. She, she can't see. <laughs> you just got married. And you're like, fuck this. I'm out. What's she going to do? Like, mm-hmm. hit the walls and like, damn. Anyways, she died. So, you know, it ended Shit. a happy marriage. Killed two kids. Made a guy shoot himself. It ain't good. That's what we're saying. That's what we're getting at here, folks. Well, then on in 1969, the renowned filmmaker that so many of you may know, Kenneth Anger, was also an open thelemite with a lifelong interest in the occult. He rented the house where he stayed for a short period of time. Of course, Kenneth Anger was a fascinating filmmaker with a ton of really interesting films, uh, several of them based upon, you know, uh, Aleister Crowley and the thelemites and everything else. Uh, sadly, he just coincidentally died back on May 11th, 2023. So, you know, rest in peace and rest in power, Kenneth Anger. Um, a lot of his short films, I believe you can find on YouTube. So after this, I probably will do that. Um, we had a local guy, a buddy of mine named Blake, who showed a, um, marathon of Kenneth Anger films while I was in Colorado. So I missed out, but I was really wanting to check those out. Anyway, a year later comes this old boy named Jimmy Page. Most of us have heard about Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page, and many folks considered him one of the greatest musicians in rock history. Besides all his recordings with Led Zeppelin, he was also apparently a member of the Yardbirds. Train kept a rolling all night long. Train kept a rolling all (laughs) night long. You should go YouTube that too. I don't do it justice, but uh, classic. No, you don't. But what you do do is keep us well with inside the copyright laws. So See? You can't get nailed for copyright <laughs> if I fucking say it. They're like, I don't know what song that is. <laughs> that doesn't sound like the Yardbirds. From now on, Preston just hums yeah. all of our incidental music. <laughs> so, d- Dad, uh, when we were, uh, Jason and I were younger, uh, it was like 97, 98, uh, Dad took us to a rock concert at the Cotillion here in Wichita, and it mm-hmm. was the Yardbirds and Animals 2 because everybody after Jimmy Page left the Yardbirds uh, uh-huh. they, they're all dead now except for like the drummer and so they basically just got a giant karaoke band with the original drummer and uh, they you know karaoke the songs and uh, so I've seen the Yardbirds in, in concert oh, that's you know? fucking awesome dude even, even yeah. if it was only the original drummer not Jimmy Page yeah, it still counts man it counts Well, he also was a very respected session musician that played in many famous songs with many other musicians. But any hoozle, old Jimmy Page was also an avid collector of Crowley memorabilia and had read a lot of Crowley and was fascinated by the ideas that he had. And he went on to, uh, you know, jump on the opportunity that presented itself to buy the old Boleskine house. And, of course, Jimmy jumped at the chance to own one of the biggest pieces of Alistair's remaining belongings and just said, why the hell not? Go big or go home. Right, that's it, man. Alistair Crowley's home. (laughs) And at the time Paige bought the house, it was in a state of decay, but he felt like it'd be a good atmosphere in which to write songs, and he thought he could also probably refurbish it over a short period of time. And even though Paige initially tended to use the house as a creative environment for songwriting, guess what? He spent little time there after raging uh, for its restoration because he had better homes, homes that looked over lakes and had moats and castle turrets and everything. So he's like, fuck this shithole. I'm just going to have somebody fix it up. So he entrusted the care of the property to his close friend, Malcolm Dent, 
When Dent moved into the house, he said it was a wreck. It had been more or less abandoned. There was shit all over the place. Windows weren't there, and the doors were knocked in. And uh, There had been at least one fire. Parts of the building were missing, and it had been badly patched up. The grounds, which at one time had been very nicely laid out, had gone to hell. Anyways, Dent, a skeptic of the paranormal, encountered unsettling phenomenon during his time at Boleskine. Mysterious rumblings from the hallway ceased only when investigated but resumed upon his return to his room. Intrigued, Dent delved into the house history and discovered a text suggesting that the rumblings were attributed to Lord Lovett's head. Even though he was executed in London, Dent explained that Boleskine being the nearest consecrated ground to Eroge, a place believed to be the geographical center of the Highlands, may have attracted Lovett's soul or part of it. Dent's most terrifying... Sorry, let me interject. He says that he would be woken up and distracted by the sound of something heavy rolling down the hallway or bouncing down the stairs, and claims it's this dude's decapitated head. Yeah. Uh, At first I thought it was my cats, and then I realized the cats were (laughs) locked up in the other room. So what the fuck else could be rolling down? Oh, it's this guy's severed head. Mm -hmm. Dent's most terrifying experience occurred one night when he was awakened by the sound of what he believed to be a wild animal snorting and banging on his bedroom door. Petrified, he shit himself and uh, (laughs) endured the ordeal until morning. Too frightened to open the door. Uh, To his relief, he found nothing there. Reflecting on the incident, Dent chillingly described the presence as pure evil. Dent's uh, claims find support in the experience of others, as friends who stayed overnight claimed to have been attacked by some kind of devil. (gasps) Doors slammed open and closed, chairs moved, rugs rolled up on their own, heightening the sense of dread. Remarkably, Dent remained at Boleskine, met his wife there, and raised a fa- oh, because so there was a happy ending. I mean, shit, everybody else fucking, you know, got went to a sane <laughs> asylum, shot themselves, right, or you right. know, got their head chopped off, got burned <laughs> to death. Uh, but you know, this guy, he found he found uh, his pot of gold at the end of that fucking shit rainbow. Yeah. Man, <laughs> that brown streak. That brown streak. Anyways, in a cap- captivating interview with the Rolling Stone magazine. It wasn't really captivating. I told AI to jazz up this paragraph. I said, dude, make this better. And it's like, it's captivating. That's going to make the audience believe it. It added not one really. word to your document. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The renowned musician Jimmy Page delved into the eerie atmosphere and alleged paranormal activity surrounding the manor of Boleskine. He revealed that the property, the property had a fascinating history being owned by Aleister Crowley, being uh, previously owned uh, uh, and serving as a church, it burned down. So he was like, "Fuck, why not? This is let's let's do this." The musician uh, reencountered uh, the existing negative vibes that permeated the manor even before Crowley's arrival. Uh, yeah, we already talked about that—the chilling tale of a man being beheaded and. Uh, who his friend mistook for uh, the sound of cats, but no, it was the severed head rolling down the steps. And unbeknownst to him, the cats were locked away, leading to the discovery of the manor's haunting past. Wait, These... wait, it sounds like your uh, it sounds like your AI got a bit redundant. Well, I I had this in I had this in a different order, and then you, you re so? reordered it. Yeah, that you left this part in, and I didn't realize that. So then when you were talking about, it, I'm like, yeah, there was fucking cats coming down the. 
the thing, you know? And <laughs> okay. I'll take yeah. I'll take partial blame. I still think yeah. that your AI it's, chatbot's a moron. It's it's fifty fifty. Okay. Yeah. And so here's the thing, like when you're researching anything that has to do with Jimmy Page and the occult, like right here, when asked about his own encounters with spirits, the musician clarified that while he hadn't personally heard the sound of the rolling heads, he wouldn't discount the possibility of contact altogether. His fascination with the unknown was evident, but he emphasized the importance of taking precautions and approaching such phenomena. And then, um, yeah, you know, it's all about the music. I mean, everybody wants to ask me about the occult and my beliefs in it, but it's about the music, man. So believe what mm-hmm. you want. And that that's it. Fuck you, Jimmy Page. I, ha- I have to believe that there's more to it than that. <laughs> so anyway, on with the music. So Jimmy Page's fascination with the, uh, the occultist work extended into his personal collection of Crowley's manuscripts and artwork. The guitarist collaborated. This is the only thing. This one fucking thing right here is the only thing that, that can point to anything that has to deal with the occult. Because any interview with Jimmy Page, that motherfucker's denying shit. So he collaborates with Terry Manning to etch Do What Thou Wilt onto the B-side of the original pressing of Led Zeppelin III. On the opposite side, it featured the inscription, So Mode It Be. Interestingly enough, these messages were omitted from subsequent versions of the album, making the early pressings exceedingly rare and highly sought after by collectors, and goddammit, I want one now. <laughs> yeah. So their first three albums had simple, sensible titles. Led Zeppelin being the first album, two being the second, and three being the third. But when it came time for number four in November of 1971, they stripped things down even further, refusing to even print a single word anywhere on the record sleeve, not even their own names, apparently, in hopes of causing confusion among the hated rock press. Page said, after all we had accomplished, the press is still calling us hype. So that's why the fourth album is untitled, although a lot of us call it, you know, number four. Naturally, this, though, created some confusion, and it infuriated Atlantic Records. But the band did include four symbols on the cover, one that represented each member of the group. But Page's symbol, even though they said no letters and no words, seemed to spell out a name called Zoso. But it's actually Led Zeppelin's number four that we've come here to talk about. And we've got to give a shout out to the main source here, ZozoSymbol.com, because the author, whose name I couldn't find, I did try, did a great job and a great write-up here, so we're going to share most of the following information from that site specifically. Now, Preston, do you have those symbols? Do you want to flash those up? (laughs) They're up, baby. You're the coolest. So if you're familiar with the fourth album from Led Zeppelin, then you probably already know the notorious symbols. Very strange, but they all seem to be seem to be associated with the occult. But they also each represent one member of the band. Robert Plant's symbol, which is the feather of Ma'at, the Egyptian goddess for justice and fairness, looks like a feather with a circle around it. John Paul Jones' symbol is three interlocking ovals with a circle over top of them, commonly used to exercise evil spirits with the note that clumsy, uh, that a note that a clumsy person would be unable to draw. This infers 
that such a person is confident and competent in their abilities. So it just looks like three interlocking circles. Oh, no, sorry. It looks almost like a Celtic symbol, I believe. Um, John Bonham's symbol appears to be the Hierophant. Is that how you pronounce that? Hierophant? Hierophant. <laughs> Hierophant tarot card symbolizing Osiris, Iris, Horus, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, a.k.a. the Holy Trinity. But the meaning behind Sandy Denny's symbol is more of a mystery to, than Jimmy Page's symbol, an old symbol for the Godhead. It almost looked like um, like a radioactive symbol. We don't have that included here, but that was another symbol included on their three triangles, kind of in a triangle symbol. But as for Page himself, we have the infamous Zoso, the Z supposedly representing the astrological sign of Capricorn, which coincidentally is Page's own sign, but then the OSO aligns with the satanic origin of 666, <clears throat> some believe. And lots of other weird speculation about what the symbols mean, including uh, the three-headed dog Cerebus that guards the gates of hell reportedly having Zozo right across his forehead as well. But when Jimmy Page was asked what the symbol meant, he said that the band members selected them from a standard reference book of sigils. Of course, sigils being symbols used in magic. And they suggested that interested people should go ahead and look them up for themselves in a standard reference text, meaning do your own research in a good way. Page used to own a secondhand bookstore called the Equinox, 4 Holland Street in Kensington, London, which is no longer open, but the bookstore specialized in books from the occult. He clearly had better access to these standard reference books than the rest of us because uh, when researching, you find a great difficulty in finding any of the books with these symbols and sigils that looked even remotely similar to the symbols above, at least, you know, years ago. Now, of course, we have reproductions of websites everywhere. With some research, though, it proved possible to find the symbols for Plant, Jones, and Bonham, and also Sandy Denny. But Page's symbol was elusive and really, you know, kind of hard to find. So that's where the speculation kind of kicks in. But it's one specific symbol of the five that many people have speculated on that becomes the focus of the occult and Led Zeppelin number four and the Saturn symbol, a.k.a. Zozo. Now, Zozo can be spelled Z-O-S-O -O or Z-O-Z-O. But now on the outside, as noted in the textbooks, Zoso looks a little bit like Zioso of Grazioso. Now, Jimmy's first guitar was a 1959 Futurama Grazioso that his parents bought him when he was 12 years old. So it could be something as simple as Jimmy Page just loved the word Zoso because it was a throwback and represented his first guitar he had when he was 12 years old, also with his sign of the Zodiac. Perhaps this is why this particular Saturn symbol caught his eye. But there's a lot of people out there who think that it's got a much deeper and a much more demonic reason behind it. So the origins of the symbol go back to at least 1521, although some believe earlier, back in the 1300s, is where Zozo first reared its bizarre head. The most accessible text to finding the symbol is the grimoires called Et Rituals Magique, by Francois Ribadeau Dumas, published back in Paris in 1972 and again back in 1998. Anyway, in this grimoire, Page's symbol can be found on page 127 in a chapter titled 10, uh, in, sorry, in chapter 10 entitled The Dragon Rouge, a.k.a. Red Dragon. 
where the secrets of the scientist artifice can be found. But the Zozo symbol can also be found in the 19th century dictionary of symbols called Le Triple Vocabulare Infernal Manuel du Demonane. And I think I probably nailed that one. Dude, you nailed the shit out of that one. <laughs> yeah, give me some phonetic spelling yeah. on that, Lazarus. Yeah. But anyway, um, this book is supposed to be all about demons and how to pronounce them, where to find them, and so on and so forth. But in the summary for Jimmy Page's Zozo symbol, Page wanted the symbol for Saturn, the planetary ruler of his astrological sun sign, being Capricorn. And people aren't certain exactly if it references the books he uses or not, or sorry, that he claims to use or not. But the collection of Saturn symbols dates back to at least the 1300s, and so blah, 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 he chose Zozo, probably because it reminds him of his guitar. But I still think it's something more sinister, and so do a lot of other people. So, enter the demon Zozo. Coincidentally, it turns out that Zozo is also the name of a pretty infamous demon. The demon Zozo, sometimes stylized as capital Z, lowercase o, capital Z, lowercase o, or all capital Z-O-Z-O, is a mysterious trickster entity known for stalking people through Ouija boards, or Ouija boards, believed by some to be an ancient African or Sumerian demon, and if you go down the rabbit hole far enough, some people even think it's actually the alter ego of his exorcist himself, Pazuzu. Those who claim they've made contact with Zozo also say he goes by Zaza, Z-A-Z-A, or Mama, or Oz, or Zo, or Za, and also Abacus, which is just kind of fucking, you know, way out of left field. Oh, math motherfucker. Power of <laughs> yeah. the devil. Two plus two is seven, bitch. <laughs> Many people who say they've contacted Zozo on a Ouija board say that he starts by guiding the planchette into a very furious figure eight formation before frantically then zooming back and forth between the Z and the O and the Z and the O and the Z and the O. His interactions can start out friendly, but grow malicious. He's also known for cursing and threatening contactees, sometimes personally, sometimes just generally at anybody in the room. But while he's often wrangled by a Ouija board, some people believe that just by saying his name out loud can summon Zozo all the way from the depths of hell. No, we're fucked. We've said it like 20 yeah. times in this episode. God dang right. it. Now, while the sigil itself has been known to maybe exist clear back in the 1300s, the entity himself is said to be mentioned at least back in the 19th century, first involving a story where a young woman in France um, in the village of Tilly was possessed by three separate spirits, Mimi, Cropulet, and Zozo. Although I'm not going to go into that story because it was pretty much proved to be a big crock of bullshit. But the girl did a lot of dirty things and claimed she's being possessed by three demons. But it was where the name Zozo really popped out to people as, oh shit, this might be a really important demon or, you know, at least the boogeyman. It was mentioned also back in an 1818 French occult book called Dictionnaire Infernal. My Jacques Augusta Simone Colin de Plansty, a French demonologist and occultist. But here's an interesting tidbit. In the original publication, Zozo was clearly mentioned in the book along with several other demons and entities. But oddly enough, Zozo appears to be one of the only demons removed from more modern publications that have been edited since the original publication was released. So the question has to be asked, was it Jacques or somebody else who was worried that someone might summon the entity just by simply saying his name out loud? 
or was it somehow trapped away and removed from the book in hopes of keeping it locked away forever? And also, you know, because I'm a fan of fun facts, here's another one for you folks just to bring it back around. Coincidentally, Aleister Crowley himself claimed that he had been in contact with an entity and that Zoso is a name that symbolizes the Triple Six. But anyway, perhaps the most famous tale of Zoso comes from a man named Darren Evan, who encountered the demon back in 1982. So, to finish things off, let's talk a little bit about Zozo, shall we? Way back when, Darren used to be a pretty frequent Ouija board user, but across all his experiences, one particular spirit always came back and made grave efforts to make its presence known. And if you've been paying attention, you'd probably guess that that spirit's name is what, Preston? Zozo, but Lazarus said that uh, the, what the fuck do you call it, the uh, Dictionary Infernal? Yeah, the Dictionary Infernal, Uh uh-huh. That's just like some stupid, spooky Dungeons and Dragons spirit book. It doesn't tell you dick. It's just got some cool pictures, you know. So you're saying it's like a dictionary or or a bestiary, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's, it's just it's just got it's just got some paint by numbers in it. That's it. Any, That's cool gonna... though, man. Everybody has to have a Pokédex, you know it. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, we're just gonna keep rolling with it. I like to have an idea that the Dictionary Infernal is just like you know this fucking grimoire. I did look it up, uh, Lazarus. It's stupid expensive, so I won't be wasting my time on it. So you can sleep soundly tonight knowing that. Preston, you got it, buddy. That demon's name was none other than Zozo. Now, not to spoil any of the fun, but apparently through his experiences, things got real bad and Darren reached a point where he refuses to even speak the entity's name out loud. So at first he says the entity would pretend to be a nice spirit or even mask itself as whoever he was trying to contact. But eventually, after several sessions, something changed and the entity revealed its true personality to Darren and it started getting really aggressive. He would cuss at him and threaten him and even start talking shit to anybody in the room with Darren whenever he'd be summoned, oftentimes even cursing in Latin or Hebrew. But more bizarrely, the entity would show up even when Darren would use Ouija boards outside of the States and even when he'd use an entirely different Ouija board wherever he was at. Anyway, things progressed on, and the entity would start to tell Darren how it wanted to possess his girlfriends and take them to what he referred to as paradise. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Susan, Darren. I'm gonna take her back to hell with me, buddy. We're gonna rock and roll down there in hell, <laughs> motherfucker. Is that what the song Two Tickets to Paradise" is? I don't know, but uh, you know, there was, uh, there was a, uh, a game that came out in '87, '88 on the DOS called "Escape from mm-hmm. Hell." And that was the premise. There was like a guy, his name was Bill, and he was like with his girlfriend Susie, and they were like on the bed eating pizza, and all of a sudden, like Satan popped out and like dragged her to hell. And then this phone booth came out of nowhere, and so you go it's to Bill hell. And Ted. Uh, it was like a ripoff of that, right? But anyway, so you go to hell in this time travel phone booth, and then you got to get your girlfriend back from old Sates. And, uh, who do you find down there to help you out on, on your romantic love quest? Mm-hmm, Genghis mm-hmm. Khan, Hitler. All the baddies are down there, and they're willing to help you. 
And so that's the game. It's an RPG game uh, with Hitler, Genghis Khan, and uh, Stalin, and there's somebody else. And uh, fuck yeah, that's what this reminds me of. I feel like that's where this story's <laughs> going. What a real yeah. motley crew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, my girlfriend, uh, gosh, she got dragged to hell. So uh, I had to I had to get with Satan and Stalin and Genghis Khan, and we had to go kick that motherfucker's ass. Took on demons. <laughs> Well, you got it right, man. Paradise, of course, when asked, Zozo said, oh, it's hell. I want to take your girlfriends to hell. On one especially bad experience, though, Darren walked into his bathroom just in time to see his one-year-old daughter about to drown in the bathtub. See, the baby's mom had left her alone in the tub just for a second, and somehow the water supposedly got turned on by itself and began to rise up and slowly overflow. Instinctively, though, the baby had its face tilted up and was seconds away from going under the water when Darren was able to rescue her from the water. The next day, she was hospitalized for some strange internal infections and had to be put in isolation for 14 days straight as doctors would go on to try to diagnose the illness. He says they almost lost her, but things then turn around. But that's when they started suspecting possible demonic attacks. Where the fuck was Ed and Lorraine Warren at, man? Yeah, no shit, man. Collecting Raggedy Ann dolls, I guess. Yeah, shit. Around this time, though, his girlfriend would start to also enter these bizarre trance-like states. He said her personality would begin to change from this really sweet, caring person to very withdrawn and uncaring. And Zozo said before on other encounters that he was trying to possess her to eat her soul. A la Evil Dead. Another time he said that he was recording some music for a future rock and roll project and he pulled out a Ouija board and asked it if it had an opinion on what they should name their new band. And the planchette would then zip around the board and spell out I-R-O-N-T-O-N-G-U-E. Iron Tongue. Now, Darren thought it's pretty fucking badass. Because, uh, you know, yeah, because Iron Maiden was already probably out at that time. And he's like, Iron Maiden? How about Iron Tug, man? That's more rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, Darren thought it was pretty badass, but uh, then something terrible happened. Apparently... You got a cease and desist from Iron Maiden? Like, back the fuck off, dude. <laughs> right, right. No, one day shortly after that exchange about the band name, his daughter got really sick, and her tongue had begun swelling up inside the hospital to the point where she almost began asphyxiating on her own tongue. Her tongue then became rock hard and distorted her face, causing it to swell up, and the tongue would hang out grotesquely off to the side. Luckily, Iron though, tongue? Yeah, right. Luckily, though, she did recover yet again. But bizarrely, when guests would spend the night in their house, they'd claim they could hear frightening voices coming from inside the walls, objects would be thrown across the room, and spiders would almost appear out of nowhere. One time, his girlfriend's brother, who lived with them, complained that he couldn't sleep one night because he kept hearing these conversations that were so loud, he simply couldn't fall asleep. He said he believed in ghosts, and though he wasn't afraid of them, he thought that this definitely felt demonic. He said his lights would come on and turn off by themselves, and doors would open and unlock on their own. One night... In their bedroom, a vicious laugh began to emanate from thin air, and he says to this day he still can't explain the bizarre laughter. 
And yet again, a different night, he said he was awoke by what felt like hands slowly closing in around his throat to the point where he couldn't breathe, he couldn't even scream. And after about 30 seconds of fighting it, it finally released the grip, allowing him to gasp for air. And he said the very next night, the same thing happened to his girlfriend. One night when he and his girlfriend's brother were standing just outside the back porch's sliding door, when they were taking um, just a second to talk about a supposed curse they had on the family, he said he abruptly exclaimed, I rebuke this curse in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said as soon as he finished that saying, they heard a deafening sound and a vibration which struck the entire house with such an alarming boom, the neighbors actually came over to investigate what happened because they could hear it from their living room. They knew it couldn't be their imagination, so they began inspecting the house, but they said after even getting a ladder to go on top of the roof, they couldn't find anything. But the best thing they could describe was it sounded like something large had fallen from the sky and landed on the roof. Then suddenly things began to settle down, and to this day, he says, he believes whatever caused that noise had finally gone away. But sadly, his girlfriend ended up breaking up with him, and after a little time goes by, Zozo even seemed to have disappeared and given up. And he went on to meet somebody online from Michigan, and he eventually moved in with this girl, moved all the way across to Michigan and got a house with her. Now, she didn't believe in spirits, and although he knew better, he decided one day he might try to make her a believer, because that's how these things go, folks. We're not even in Act 3 yet, so you know the story's not over. He decided to make her a believer by downloading a Ouija board from online because he had since sold or destroyed any of the ones he had at his current house, or I'm sorry, his previous house. So he printed it out, made a planchette, and to his horror an old friend had returned. It said it came from cyberspace, and when I asked what his name was and where it lived, it said he lived inside a skull necklace. Hold on, cyberspace? This is in the 80s. Cyberspace wasn't even a fucking thing Well, I mean, we're probably beyond 1982 at this point, but I don't have timestamps for, you know, what, when, or where this happened. Sorry, bud. Fuck. You gotta gotta suspend suspend your disbelief, Mason. God damn fuck's it. sake, you believe in, you know, peanut butter rituals, you might as well believe in Zozo and the power of cyberspace in, you know, 1992. Unless, like, okay, so first of all, you're saying that it's fucking talking in Hebrew and Latin on a fucking American alphabet board, so, okay, I'm gonna call bullshit on that, and then we're talking cyberspace, and no, stop it, you know what? Jimmy, Jimmy Page's disbelief on it's not the magic, it's the music man is more believable than this right <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. I love it, dude. I love it. Okay. So it said it came from cyberspace. And when I he asked it where it lived, it said the skull necklace. Now, they didn't think much of it, and they asked again where it was. But this time it spelled out M-I-R-R-O-R. He said there's only one mirror in the bedroom where they were currently crouched on the floor. And suddenly he heard a scream coming from the seven-year-old niece who was watching them from, with another friend from outside the room. They looked up at the mirror and they noticed the skull necklace that was hanging on it had begun to swing back and forth with glowing eyes that appeared to almost be looking down at them. Now, Preston, I also call bullshit because it kind of sounds like a 1980s horror film. 
He said they almost jumped out of their skin, and although three feet of fresh snow had fallen the night before, when they went outside in the front yard, they noticed there were footprints in the snow. Dun, dun, dun. My girlfriend was so fascinated she... <laughs> My girlfriend was so fascinated she drove 40 miles to purchase a new glow-in-the-dark Ouija board, much to his dismay. The next night, they had another session in the same room, and Zozo immediately came forth. And even without um, him being a participant, his girlfriend's nieces were there using the planchette, and he was secretly writing down um, different words on a piece of paper. He got the girls to ask the entity what color he had written down on the paper, and suddenly the planchette scooted and spelled out yes, and then B-L-U-E. He said chills ran down his spine. He threw the wadded-up piece of paper to his girlfriend. She unwrapped it, and her eyes got as big as saucers because she realized that he hadn't had time to fake that word, and somehow Zozo knew the color he had written down. Another night later, they asked the board if the spirit would show itself. It said yes and told him to turn out the lights and take a picture of the necklace that was hanging on the board. One night, he asked the board if the spirit would show itself, and it said yes, and told him to turn the lights out and take a picture <laughs> while he held the necklace above the Ouija board. So he did just that, turned out the lights, and he said what happened next was eerie, to say the least. On the upper left-hand corner of the picture, he says you can plainly see winged skeletons flying around the room. And then a deep voice says, Do you like my thick goat thighs, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing squats, bitch. I can pop your soul apart with these watermelon thighs. Come here, come to daddy. <laughs> Pow! <laughs> we have so many sights to show you. <laughs> uh, he said he took the picture and he shared it to several experts. Nobody can tell if it's real or fake. They said if it's fake, they don't know how he managed to fake it. <laughs> Anywho, as a uh, epilogue to this tale of sadness, a few months ago he said he Googled the word Zozo. Now we're back in like 2009 now. To my shock, many other people have also contacted said demon by the same name. He said he read about 20 similar stories, and now he's convinced that this simply cannot be a mere coincidence. Is the entity Zozo? Supposedly, the three-headed dog demon that guards the gates of hell also has the word tattooed on his forehead, but it's spelled Z-O-S-O. Also, I found out that Zozo is a term Aleister Crowley claimed meant 666, and, of course, Jimmy Page of the rock group Led Zeppelin also used Zozo as a symbol on Led Zeppelin's fourth album. So how can so many people around the world in so many different parts lie about the same spirit, especially before the Internet, I want to add here? And if they aren't lying, then how can you explain these visitations by this wicked entity? Makes you wonder, is Zozo the devil himself or a wayward demon who has the power to manifest itself wherever and whenever it's called. He finishes out by saying, Heed my warning, people. If you're playing around with a Ouija board and you jokingly ask it if it's ever uh, had a name and it spells out Z-O-Z-O, close out the session properly, cleanse the house, and never, I repeat, never ask it again. And if you're brave enough to carry on the conversation with the spirit, do not antagonize it or act on its directions. I know what I've seen, and I know other people have also come into contact with this spirit, and it's dangerous beyond words.
Hmm. Well, in 1992, Boleskine House was sold to Mech Galliveris, who transformed it into a hotel. They were staunch skeptics of the paranormal and reported no unusual experiences. And when asked about the house connection to the supernatural, Miss McCauley-Gviri dismissed them as rubbish, emphasizing that they had a great time during their ownership. So there you have it, folks. The twisted tale of Boleskine House, where ghosts, witches, and rock stars collide. It's a place that's as haunting as it is fascinating. Just remember, if you ever find yourself there, be prepared for a wild ride and maybe bring some holy water just in case. And a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board, peanut butter, <laughs> jelly, and remember, demons like to show themselves with the lights off, not on. There we are, folks. Part one of Rock and Roll and the Occult, old Jimmy Page and the Demon Zozo. Um... Lazarus said, what about the spooky BS story involving crows and blackbirds in jars under the house in Oklahoma City? Ah, I didn't come across anything about that, actually. I think maybe there might have been, like, some bill. I think we covered, like, five years ago when we first covered Zozo. This is, like, our second... Sean's memory sucks, so he doesn't remember half of the episodes that we do. But Daddy over here has a good memory, and we have covered Zozo before, and we did talk about that story. Uh, So... You know what? Go through our back catalog on iTunes or uh, Spotify and uh, listen to it, and you'll find out all about the history of crows in Oklahoma and the Zozo Demon. Really? Yeah. I know we told a story about the the bird witch that we had a writer uh, write in about that, and then they had found a witch's jar underneath that guy's bed who was really sick because his wife had cursed him. So we decided to do an episode on the occult, and I did, what's that, Mars Volta, and their album, The Bedlam and Goliath, and you were talking about Zozo and the history of the demon, and you went into all that, bud. Trust me. I shit you not. Well, I guess we're going to have to look into some bird and jar stories then, huh? Yeah. Holy fucking hour and one minute. Man, we haven't gone this long. This is like a marathon. I know, it really was, man. That's like a 13-page document that we typed up. And, yeah. Uh, outside of that one little blub there being... And you know what? I'm going to stand corrected here because I accused AI of being a dipshit, which I still think it is. But if I read that correctly, I think that was basically a quote or part of the other guy's story that was recounting um, all the weird shit that was going on that I mentioned before. So I do apologize to you and AI. What do we call AI? Does AI have a name yet? Yeah. Fucking Jerry, dude. <laughs> okay, Jerry, I thought so, sorry. Jerry. Yeah, yeah. So I do stand corrected, man. Um, I don't think... Now, I will also uh, take your apology because I don't think I then should have cut that part out and moved it when I moved everything else. So agree to disagree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Split yeah. the diff. Cool. Split the diff. Yeah. Well, everybody, again, thank you for joining us. Thanks for watching and following along. We really appreciate you guys. If you're on the old social medias, please jump on. Give us a follow on Instagram. We are PXL Paranormal. Uh, we're really blazing down the trail here. 873 followers. We've gained probably, um, man, close to 70 in the last two weeks, which is phenomenal. So my dream of hitting 1,000 before New Year's Eve is fast approaching. 272 on YouTube. Yeah, you beat me to it. Good job, pal. 272, that's fantastic. Um, Really good stuff there. You know, if we could hit like 350 or 4 before Christmas, I'd be a happy boy. But uh, otherwise, thank you guys. On Facebook, we are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. 
Uh, Preston, how many how many people do we have following us on Rumble right now? Six. We have six. Fuck yeah. That's, that's then, double I, from what we had last time. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, we have one on kick. I, I Cool. Look, is there something to add? So I added it, but I mean, Dude, if yeah. you're, you know, the one person who watched us on kick, thank you from the bottom yeah. of our hearts. And yeah. Restream just sent me, congratulations, you had 100 messages today with the Restream chat. So I don't know if that's good or bad. So thanks, Lazarus and Fire Pixie, for blowing the shit out of that. <laughs> Fucking get the numbers yeah. there, gang. Get yeah, the you guys, numbers. Your, your backs must be tired because you're carrying the yeah. chat. Well, as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow the best damn beard that a demon won't ask you to turn the lights off when you're trying to have sexy sex time, then you need to do yourself a favor and go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order to get yourself scents like Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Classic, Sweet Tobacco. Oh, I love sweet tobacco. You can always keep the lights on. If you have sweet tobacco in your beard, <laughs> get it all, get it at Dobbs. Promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Hey, and I was paying attention that time, so I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff, buddy. All right, if you're in the Wichita area, please do me a favor. Stop by, see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang over at CD Trade Post, Pawnee, and Seneca. And also, if you're hungry, you want a little snacky snack or a full-blown meal, um, if you're down around some of those farmers markets or food truck rallies, check out our friends at the Paranormal Egg Experience Food Truck or downtown. They also have a brick and mortar called the Paranormal Dot Cafe. Phenomenal food. Um, I believe a little bit of different stuff from one location to the other and a couple things also will overlap. So please check them out. But in the meantime, I'm going to raise this glass of a... Anchor Brewing Company's Mexican Lager, and I'm going to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.